I'm Justine Zavitz with Zavitz Insurance, and this is our Transition to Practice podcast series. Today I have Brandon Gilbert. Brandon is a chartered accountant with Collins Barrow here in London, Ontario. He specializes with healthcare professionals and has worked with a number of them um, from the time they're students through to residents through to practicing physicians and beyond. Um, so he's got quite a lot of experience uh, helping residents um, go from being a resident to being a practicing physician and um, explaining what's different from you from a tax planning perspective at that point in time. Brandon has been a partner with Collins Barrow for the past five years, um, but he has worked there for the last 13. Hi, Brandon. Thanks for joining us. Hi, Justine. Thanks for inviting me. Glad to have you here. Um, so, Brandon, you and I have worked together with a lot of uh, different clientele, and I hear frequently about how you help them when they transition to practice with uh, understanding how their lives change from a tax perspective, um, what types of accounts they want to be setting up to help them with their organization and their filing, making sure they understand how much money to be putting aside and so on. So we're going to cover some of these um, items today. Sound Absolutely. good? Absolutely. Yeah. Awesome. So Brandon, the first thing I want to ask you is, um, what is the first thing that you talk about with a graduating resident? Well, shockingly, the first thing I talk about is taxes. <laughs> so when they go from being an MB resident, transitioning into practice, there's a lot of things that change from a taxation perspective. Being an employee as a resident versus being a professional, there's a whole different world of deductions and tax rates and planning items that they need to know about. And then what that usually leads into is a discussion about budgets and incorporation and other things that they need to know as they start into the big scary world of, of professional practice. Right, and, and it does seem overwhelming at the beginning with the amount of things that there is to remember for them. Um, so what are some of the big things that you, you let them know about from in terms of their tax responsibilities? What are the big takeaways for them? Well, one of the biggest takeaways is that there's no one else standing behind them for keeping records, keeping receipts, or any other information. It's their responsibility as the taxpayer to keep all of the information necessary to calculate their professional income and actually file their tax return and in turn to look at the planning and budgeting that they need so that they can uh, start to look at retirement even though they're just beginning practice at that time. So one of the first things for tax responsibilities is I, as I go through a list of what are the types of things that you're able to deduct as a practicing physician versus the things that you were able to deduct as an MD resident. The MD resident expenses are very, very small, very narrow, and there's not a lot that you can deduct. As a practicing physician, the list gets expanded fairly significantly. So if they don't have a good idea of what they can deduct, they don't really have much of a chance of keeping the proper records and receipts to begin with. Um, the other part of the tax responsibilities is that no one is withholding any income tax from their professional income. So as soon as they get into practice and they stop receiving this regular paycheck from a hospital, suddenly they have to know to set aside money to be able to pay for their tax when they get to file their first tax return with professional income on it. Right. And that it is a big challenge because um, leading up to this point in time, the majority of MD residents would have been considered employees all the way through, whether it's during their residency or whether they worked as a bartender in university or whatnot, you're an employee. 
And so as an employee, you do have your taxes withheld off your paycheck. Um, so you're automatically paying the government as you're getting paid. And as a self-employed professional, you will not have that happening. That's right. So yeah. it feels like you're getting paid a whole bunch, but really... Well, and that's the danger that a lot of residents get into when they get into practice is they think, oh, wow, I just had $20,000 deposited to my bank account from OHIP or a hospital. And they say, I'm going to go spend this $20,000. What they don't really realize is that maybe 40 to 45% of that cash should be set aside to pay Canada Revenue Agency the following April. We've had a fair number of clients who haven't come in for advice or have been new to our firm during April in tax season where we complete their tax return, send them uh, the amount of tax that they owe, and they're a little bit shocked <laughs> when they say, well, what do you mean I owe $50,000 or $80,000 or $100,000 when I file my tax return? I say, well, you know that cash you had deposited? No one was withholding tax. Mm -hmm. So they, the biggest thing is that they have to know to set aside money and to budget for what that tax is going to be. It's funny you say that whenever we do any financial plans for any of our uh, graduating residents um, or residents that are one year out into practice, if we do it before April, they usually tell me that they have no debt. They managed to pay off their whole line of credit. But if we talk to them in May, it's like, my line of credit's now 50000 because I didn't think about that tax component of it. So it is a bit of a shocker. So why don't we talk about how tax brackets actually work? Um, so that these guys can get a sense of what tax bracket they're going to be in. I think that's a great idea because one of the biggest things I come across is people don't understand the tax rates. What I often hear is, I don't want to earn any more income because I'm going to pay more tax. Well, that's correct, but only partly true where you're going to pay more tax on the next dollar of income, but it's not going to change the amount of tax you would have paid on the other, say, 50000 that it was up to that point. So when we look at the tax brackets, there's really five main tax brackets that we deal with when we're, we're talking about physicians. First bracket is from about uh, $45,000 up to around $70,000. That's the bracket that most MD residents are in when they're in their uh, training component. From a tax perspective, in my world in Ontario, the tax rate on that is roughly 30%. So if you earn another $1,000, you pay $300 of tax. Of course, when you're a resident, it's withheld from your income and you never really notice the fact that you have extra tax taken off at source. The second bracket runs from about 70,000 up to 90,000. And that's really where it ramps up from this 30% rate up to 43%. So it's a really quick increase where we suddenly get into these higher rates that we have to play. Third bracket runs from about 90 to 140, and then there's a 150 in there as well. That's where on every dollar of income between 90 and 150,000, you pay about 43 to 46% tax. And that's where you notice, hey, all of a sudden this tax rate is 43, 46, an average rate might approach 45%. 150 to 200, 48%. So roughly half of your income from 150,000 to 200,000 is gone. And the final bracket, which is a bit of combined, but mostly together is from about 200,000 plus, your actual tax rate goes above 50% and the ultimate rate in Ontario is 53.5%. So if you can imagine if you had $300,000 of total earnings, $80,000 of that, you get to keep 46.5 cents 
and the government gets to keep 53 and a half cents. Now, bearing in mind, you've just earned $300,000. So it's one of the factors in the Tax Act that says those who earn more income should bear more of the brunt. Even though it's painful, you still have more than 50% overall in your pocket after tax of that original $300,000. And that's a, that's a hard thing to remember, and that's really the difference between your average tax rate and your marginal tax rate, right? Marginal is what you're paying on the next dollar that you earned, but your average tax rate takes into account what you've been paying in each tax bracket leading up to that marginal tax rate, correct? That's exactly right. So at a, let's use the example of $150,000 of income. The rough amount of tax in Canada Pension Plan that a physician would pay is about $53,000. So that's roughly an average rate of 33%. Once you go above that, that average increases quite quickly because you're paying tax on the next dollar at 48% or so. But if you earn $150,000, you can expect roughly ninety-seven dollars to $100,000 in your pocket. Right. So what is your rule of thumb then for making sure that one has saved for their taxes in the first year? It depends on the income level, but kind of my rough rule of thumb that I come back to time and time again is that from zero to 150,000 of professional income, set aside 35 to 40%. And that is a pretty safe number to make sure you have enough money set aside for taxes. If you earn anything above 150, my rule of thumb is 50%. The nice thing is at the end of the year, it should be less than that so that when you actually file your return, if you'd set it aside in a savings account, you have that little bit of a bonus that you can either allocate to savings or allocate to debt payment, or if you have nothing else left, maybe vacation. Hopefully it's the vacation. <laughs> okay, so obviously everyone is thinking, man, this is tough. That's a lot of money to be setting aside for taxes. So what kind of strategies exist to minimize those taxes? Well, strategy number one is work less, but you're not going to earn any money. So I think that's a terrible strategy. No, all kidding aside, the first strategy is know what you're able to legally deduct under the tax act. I'm going to talk about it a little bit in a little bit about incorporation versus not, but the premise behind everything is that if you don't know what you're allowed to deduct, then you're not going to be able to minimize or reduce your income. Uh, a lot of clients that come into my office and have that meeting when they transition from residency into professional practice are surprised by what things they're able to deduct if it's related to their professional practice. When you're with your accountant, sit down and get a list and know what the, those things are that are deductible. The next way that you can minimize taxes is through the use of RSPs or through other savings vehicle that allow you to have an actual tax deduction on your tax return. There's a little bit of a strategy with RSPs about the timing of when you make the contribution versus when you actually take the deduction and when you get the tax deduction for it. But it's a good, it's a good way to save for retirement or to save for a house with a home buyer's plan and to reduce your taxes in the current year. The third strategy, which is one that doesn't fit everyone, is to form a medicine professional corporation within the province of Ontario. The basics behind the medicine professional corporation is that the corporation is the one that's bearing the brunt of the income and the expenses and then for personal taxes we take out as much as we need for lifestyle or debt payments or for kind of the perfect tax planning and then hopefully we can leave everything else behind in the corporation. Another option with the corporation is 
the ability to income split with either your spouse, a child, or with a parent as well. Awesome. So with all of this you've been talking about and making use of all the deductions that you have available to you, um, how is one to know how much they've accumulated in deductions in a year? What kind of receipts, what kind of records should, should they be keeping to make sure that at the end of the year when they come to you, they know exactly how much they get to deduct? And if they're ever audited, more importantly, the CRA knows exactly why they deducted these certain items. Yeah, and this is, uh, this is another one of those big questions that a lot of clients have. And there's a lot of misinformation or misunderstanding with the receipts and records. One of the things I recommend is that to you keep your professional world separate from your personal life. So I highly recommend to new physicians, if they are unincorporated, to have a separate bank account and a separate credit card that are dedicated towards your practice expenses and your practice income. Part of the reason why is it gets you into the mentality of, is this for business or is this for personal? You pull out the credit card for business or the credit card for personal, and you don't mix them together. A second reason why is if Canada Revenue Agency was to provide an audit, I'd want to provide them with the correct information, but not allow them access to my personal records unless they asked to see those. And just so everyone's aware, CRA can ask to still see your personal banking and personal credit card information if they're performing an audit on your business. But I don't want them to go through my entire credit card statement if I only want them to see my business expenses. Now the next thing that everyone says to me is, well, everything's on my credit card, so I threw out the receipts. CRA would completely nail you to the wall. The reason why CRA wants the physical receipts is the credit card statement is excellent at summarizing the information, but what it doesn't give is any detail. The example I always use with clients is $50 at Shell. So let's imagine that on your credit card statement it says $50 at Shell. Most of us would leap to the conclusion that there was $50 of fuel for your car that was put onto the credit card. Well, what if it was $50 of lottery tickets or $50 of snacks that wasn't fuel? Your credit card statement isn't going to tell you a thing. The actual receipt will tell you exactly what that item is. In a lot of its best efforts, I understand and I've been guilty of it myself that you can't keep or you lose a certain receipt at somewhere along the line, but you try to do your best. And the hope is that at the end of the year you have this nice package of information where you have the bank account statement with the receipts stapled to it, you have the credit card statement with the receipts stapled to it so that when your accountant receives the records, they're happy, it's easier for them to summarize. And when, if you were ever audited from CRA, you could easily track down what that information is. Right, so it sounds like a lot of work, but I, I know from experience that you're pretty good at making sure that people are well set up and structured properly to, to get into the proper habits of doing this. It, it seems like a lot of work at the time, but if you've ever had a colleague who's been audited by CRA, even if it's a miniature audit for, for tuition slips or other information, ask them how much of a pain it was to go through the audit. If you have the records, the receipts, everything available to you almost at your fingertips, it makes it a lot easier and the stress in the long run is significantly reduced. So I, I get this question quite frequently from my clients despite my insurance expertise. Um, everyone wants to incorporate. It seems to be the new cool thing to do, and it's certainly amazing when it's for the right people. When do you specifically recommend that they incorporate? 
Well, and it's a very difficult question to answer because it's dependent on each individual that whether incorporation makes sense. You could have one person, which I'm going to call kind of the perfect situation. You have a high-income spouse and a low-income uh, wife at home or a husband at home where you're able to use the corporation to move income from the high-income individual onto the spouse's tax return. That, in my world, is called income splitting. So that tax savings over the course of the year could be $20,000 a year of tax savings. Whereas you might have another individual, single, spends all their money, needs every single dollar for debt payment or lifestyle. My recommendation to them is typically do not incorporate because there's no particular reason why. The biggest part of whether to incorporate or not is to seek out the advice of a professional that has the expertise, can go through the tax planning, and can compare the costs and the benefits of the corporation for your specific situation. If they can't do that and there's just a blanket recommendation that says, hey, you should incorporate because you're a physician, they're not doing their job very well. There's people that are in my office where I will tell them straight up, doesn't make sense to incorporate now, but here's where it will make sense. So we at least give them the planning tools to say, when you reach these points or reach these goals or have this happen, incorporation can make sense. I also try to make it a point that for any of my unincorporated physicians, we look at it or at least consider it every year just to see whether circumstances have changed or something's changed that makes incorporation make sense. Likely what will happen is that 90 to 95% of all physicians in Ontario, provided the rules don't change, will have a corporation at some point in their career. It may be when they're 50 years old or 55 years old and trying to save a little bit of income for retirement after paying off the house and want to put their kids through school, but there will likely be a point when most people will incorporate. So final thing I want to know from you, Brandon, is what kinds of questions should, um, should these graduating residents be asking to determine the best fit for them with respect to their accountant? Well, one of the big things of, of having an accountant is you have to have a personality fit them with them as well. You have to have a personality fit that you actually enjoy working with them as an individual. Right behind that is the skills. So one of the tough things to judge when you're a professional is the skills that the accountant has. So a lot of it goes down to just things that I've talked about in the podcast. What things are deductible? What do you think about incorporation? Why does it make sense for me as an individual? What should I know or what should I plan for taxes? Is there any other considerations that I should be aware of specific to your situation? We've had a number of clients over the years that have come over from other accountants and simple things like a lack of planning, a lack of advice, a lack of information has been very frustrating to us because that's the level of service that we try to provide to all of our clients. Now, part of that is not everyone who's listening to this will want to pay for that type of advice, but we've had a lot of experience where that type of advice, you may pay a little bit more for it, but you're far better off with the information than if you didn't have it in the first place. Let's imagine if you didn't know you could deduct something like auto expenses, didn't know how to calculate it, and you were missing out on a $5,000 tax deduction each year. If your tax rate's north of 50%, that's $2,500. If the meeting with your accountant to discuss that costs you $500, would you think that's worth it? Well, in my opinion, it would be yes, because it's $500 one-time investment versus a $2,500 tax deduction you might have missed for two or three years. 
And let's not forget that that $500 accountant fee is tax deductible. That is absolutely true. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, costs are important, but you have to understand what you're getting for the value in, uh, in the advice that you're receiving. If your accountant's just going to take the information from you, slap it together with no advice, no information, no other feedback, maybe you're, you need a little bit more service, a little bit more effort, and you'll just, you might not be able to judge that for a couple of years. Another part of a best fit, ask your colleagues. Ask people around, ask consultants, ask everyone else to say, who do you use, why do you like them, and what do you think? What, you, what you'll likely find is there's certain accounting firms in the area that are known for healthcare in whatever city you're in, and they become used and known by the majority of physicians, and you can start to piece together which ones are the quality accounting firms versus the ones that just produce a financial statements and say, thank you very much. You know, Brandon, I feel like um, anytime I ask any any of the professionals that I've been interviewing for these podcasts, that the answer is always the same. There's there's a personality fit, there's the expertise, um, and expertise not just in their specific fields, but with medical professionals. Um, and then there's always uh, the the value added component, where it's not necessarily about finding the cheapest solution. It's about finding the right solution. We preach that all the time in our world on disability insurance. You, you pay for what you get. It's the same with accountants. It's the same with your lawyers. Yep. Um, you do pay for what you get. And um, as you progress from resident to physician, you might think in the back of your mind, now that your exams are over, that life actually gets a little bit less busy. The reality is it only gets busier and it only gets more and more complicated. The more money you make, the more complicated your financial life becomes, and the more and more and more you're going to have to rely upon this professional team to make sure that you're keeping track of all the complexities. That's exactly right. I mean, if you go from an MD resident where you have these little bit of expenses to all of a sudden 21 or 22 different categories or types of expenses you can deduct, the amount of paperwork and the amount of records and receipts you're gonna have to keep skyrockets. So you're, you're your life, I fully agree, becomes busier, becomes a little bit more complex, but there's strategies and ways to organize and to keep things together that try to make it as simple as possible so that you can maximize your deductions, minimize your taxes, and look towards 30 years from now when you're hoping to retire. Awesome. Well, thanks, Brandon, for joining us today. I know that uh, everyone loves to pick the mind of an accountant, so I hope that this gave them some food for thought. Great. Thanks for having me here.